last 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Hello, Utah Street. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the warehouse at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano and Brandon Mortensen here with you. We need a little alert music. We need some kind of softball update alert music because got another game tonight. Got a big win last week, Brendan, in our uh, intramural softball league. And I'll tell you, we heard it from Colton Kowser when he was at Oriole Park at Camden Yards in the middle of the season, he was mic'd up. A video came out for the Orioles, and he said batting average is a lie. Batting average doesn't really matter. doesn't tell the true story. And I'll tell you, that is the story of our softball league so far. It is. I mean, we were an offensive juggernaut. We were. In that first game. I think we scored like 20 runs yeah. or something like that. Uh, but you went one for three. I did. I went but, one for three with two of the hardest outs I have had. Exactly. Exit yeah. exit velo and you just happened to was high and you just happened to hit it right at the shortstop in the third base. The shortstop who I think was like eight foot five. Yes, and I I went three for three with two very softly hit balls, yeah. loop sim- singles, if you will. Well, one of them was a home run. Well, it was a little league home run. It's you know? a it's a home run. We're it's, counting it. Yeah, I mean, See, you could have told the good people at home that it yeah, was a home run. I, we're journalists, you know. I we have, we your have some level here, of honesty yeah. and integrity, you know. Yeah. Uh, I was watching Great Pumpkin last night, Charlie Brown. Sure. And uh, t- he's talking about the most sincere pumpkin patch and what, what makes a sincere pumpkin patch. And I'll tell you, that is just what we're all searching for. And not lying sincere, about home runs Not lying. making our sincere podcast. Exactly. It's, we're going for sincerity. He says, not a sign of hypocrisy as far as the eye can see. Have you ever been in a pumpkin patch and seen a single sign of hypocrisy? You know, I don't <laughs> usually go to pumpkin patches seeking out hypocrisy so i guess i'm not really looking for right it. but you're, you could stumble upon i could some kind of hypocrisy that's the worst kind of hypocrisy you just kind of stumble upon it yeah exactly in yeah. pumpkin patches too exactly great pumpkin's not going to visit you all right we're going to talk about uh later on in this podcast a full free agency preview for the baltimore orioles now this is going to be split over the course of two podcasts for this podcast we're mostly going to be talking about Big picture things for free agency, where the Orioles should go, how they can spend their money, what positions they should target. And then next podcast in a week, we're going to talk about specific players for our free agency bracket when we try to determine the guys most likely to be signed by the Orioles. So this podcast is going to be mostly just an overview of free agency. But uh, before we get into that, Brendan, we should talk about the newsworthy things for the Orioles, and that would be some roster moves. We have the 40-man roster is in flux for the time being because they're trying to trim it down as they await the November 19th deadline when they have to add guys in order to protect them from the Rule 5 draft, and the list of guys that they need to add is incredibly long. So the trimming down is starting early, and it started with Austin Wins. Thomas Eshelman, Pat Vileka, and Connor Wade all being outrighted by the Orioles and all four of those guys elected free agency. Yeah, I don't think any of those guys were particularly surprising in terms of the fact that they were outrighted. The Orioles need to protect a lot of guys leading up to this uh, Rule 5 draft. Like you said, they need to add a bunch of players to this roster. 
So the, the fringe bullpen arms, the guys that didn't really have carved out roles, there wasn't really a point in holding on to them leading up to the Rule 5 draft and leading up to free agency as well because I think you can make a pretty solid case that you can upgrade over all of these guys at the positions that they were holding. Yeah, uh, the obvious ones, I think Pat Valleca, we said on last week's podcast, was going to get non-tendered as he is arbitration eligible, so they're just kind of speeding up the process by uh, outrighting him, and then he elects free agency there. Connor Wade didn't really make much of an impact for them this year, had 11-6-8 ERA, and then Thomas Eshelman, useful, is both a starter and a reliever in 2020, but this year, not as much, 7-16 ERA. So those guys are pretty obvious choices. The only one that is a little bit surprising was Austin Hayes, because that now... Austin wins. Austin wins, sorry, excuse me. I got to drink more coffee. That now leaves the Orioles with just two catchers on their 40-man roster. Pedro Severino, who we said on last week's podcast, we don't expect to get tendered a contract because he's arbitration eligible. Uh, And Nick Schufo, who really only made the roster, or really only made the 26-man roster at the very end of the season as kind of a thank you for your service type thing because he was a good soldier through the season at the AAA roster. So he's probably not going to have much of a place going forward They're quite thin at catcher right now. Yeah, but the thing with Austin wins that you have to keep in mind, too, that is that the reason that the move was surprising was because the Orioles don't have much depth at all at the catcher position at the major league level at this point. It wasn't really because of the quality of player that is, you know, that's the reason that it was surprising. You know what I mean? It's not because Austin wins was fantastic. He had a negative 0.6 war. He had a 45 OPS plus. He was an okay defender. He was pretty good at throwing out attempted base stealers, but that was pretty much all Austin wins was giving you. He wasn't really giving you much offensively at all. He was kind of a liability in the lineup and he was, he was an upgrade over Pedro Severino defensively. But that's but, not an incredibly high bar. <laughs> and he was he was definitely the lesser catcher offensively of those right. two. So, yes, it's surprising because of the lack of depth at the catcher position at the major league level. But it, the quality of player kind of makes sense for that move. And they're so early in the offseason that they're going to have so much time to address the catcher position. And we'll talk about how they could do that in free agency. The other thing is these guys getting outrighted and selecting free agency does not stop them from re-signing with the Orioles. Right. So if they they go out and they test the market, Austin wins, goes out, and he sees there aren't too many options left for him and not many teams are interested in him, he could decide to go back to the Orioles. My guess is it would be on a minor league deal with an invite to spring training. I don't see them handing him a major league deal after they removed him from the 40-man roster, but... This is, these four guys, including wins, are the easiest decisions for the Orioles to make at this point. They're going to have to make harder decisions as they get closer and closer to November 19th because of all the guys that they're going to have to add. But clearly they thought either they can re-sign Austin wins to a minor league deal and they're not too worried about him going and getting a major league offer somewhere else, or they're totally comfortable with him walking out the door and... Same goes for Eshelman, Valleca, and Connor Wade. Well, I think it probably falls under both categories there. Yeah. I mean, you are happy if you get these guys back on minor league deals, and maybe they prove something to you that they weren't able to prove to you in 2021. But even if you aren't able to get them back on minor league deals, 
it's really not the end of the world. It's not like you're losing the highest quality of players. Right. Like if you wanted to keep them, you could have. Yeah. So yes, they would probably be happy to get these guys back on minor league deals, but it's not going to make or break the team if they don't come back. Exactly. So they also outrighted Travis Lakin Sr. Uh, earlier in the offseason a couple of weeks ago. He cleared waivers and was assigned to AAA Norfolk, so he's staying in the organization. But he's leaving open a spot on the 40-man roster. So the 40-man roster right now is at 35. However, there are several guys on the 60-day IL that will have to be activated off of that 60-day IL and added to the 35-man roster at this point. Uh, that includes Hunter Harvey, Jorge Lopez, uh, Jorge Mateo, Keegan Aiken, DJ Stewart, Matt Harvey. So they're going to have to fit those guys on the 40-man as they activate them. Their dates will come at different times. But then they're going to have to trim down again because they're going to need to to clear off some space. Fernando Abad was a free agent. He's on the 40-man roster. He His departure will leave open a spot. Matt Harvey, his departure will leave open a spot temporarily. They could, of course, choose to bring him back, but that'll clear some space. But the number of guys of top prospects that they need to hold on to, Brendan, we'll get into it later in the offseason, but D.L. Hall, Robert Newstrom, Adam Hall, Taryn Vavra, Kyle Bradish, Kevin Smith, Cody Sedlock, Blaine Knight, Caden Grenier. You could make a case for any one of those guys to be added to the 40-man roster and protected. That's nine guys that I rattled off there there's Ofelki Peralta. There are other guys. So they're going to need as much roster space as they can get. And those are just the guys that are currently on the roster. That's not taking into account the fact that the Orioles will probably sign guys in free agency. Right. And might make a selection or two in the upcoming Rule 5 draft. Yeah. That's a lot of roster spots that need to be open for guys that could be joining this roster. Yeah. That's... You, you think about where... Michael Elias has gone in the Rule 5 draft, and he's always left himself at least two spots on the roster. He's right. always gone in with 38 guys, and that has allowed him to, to make two Rule 5 picks, which he has done in each of the last three Rule 5 drafts in 19... Or, sorry, the last two, I guess. Three? Two? Three. Three. Yeah, three Rule 5 drafts. Uh, so that will allow him to make two... Selection, So he's going to have to not just get, get it down to 40, but get it down to 38. Yeah, and with that, there are a lot of guys. The, the guys that were outrighted were pretty obvious, and then you have to start making tougher decisions in terms of who you might designate for assignment coming up because, like you said, you need a ton of those open roster spots. I think there's a lot of fringe bullpen arms that are probably on the way out. You mentioned DJ Stewart. I think he might be on his way out. You mentioned... Uh, some starting pitchers too that yeah. kind of back end there like a Spencer Watkins he might be on the DFA bubble there's a lot of guys that might be on the move off of this roster to make room for free agents in those prospects three rule five drafts 18 19 20 yes. that we've seen Michael Elias make so he's taken six players total in those rule five drafts yeah Brooks Kriske, uh Joey Crable uh Eric Hanhold Connor Green Chris Ellis Watkins all those guys are subject to be outrighted or designated for assignment. But still, they're tougher decisions. I mean, a guy like Chris Ellis had a pretty impressive 2021. I don't know if that he's probably still on the bubble there, but I don't know. He, he at least warrants consideration to keep on the roster. Yeah, they're, they're going to have to decide, is it worth keeping a Chris Ellis who is a little bit closer to 30, he's 29, over like a Caden Grenier, 
who is right. young but has not shown you as much in the minor league. So tough decisions upcoming. Yeah, that could come down to which pitcher do you want on your roster? Would you rather have Chris Ellis or Blaine Knight? Right. And and the other thing they have to consider is how likely are these guys to get picked by other teams? Right. You know, can they sneak some guys through the Rule 5 draft? Or can they sneak some guys into the Rule 5 draft? They get taken by their teams, but they're confident that they'll get returned, like we saw with Gray Fenter. So tough decisions. Uh, left for Mike Elias. But it also speaks to the depth of the minor league system that they have to add all these guys. Right. Um, all right. Well, let's let's dive into the free agency preview, shall we? Let's do it. First and foremost, before we talk about the positions that we think that the Orioles will attack in free agency, I think Mike Elias's priorities going into this free agency are not going to be much different from his priorities in previous off-seasons. And while they are probably going to be, I think we're going to see the best version of the Orioles under Mike Elias in 2022 in the Brandon Hyde Elias, Mike Elias era. I don't know if they are willing to go out and make meaningful upgrades to the major league roster, considering they are still worried about blocking guys and they're still worried about saving money for extending the top prospects that they have in their system and for bolstering what they hope to be a winning club in 2023 and beyond. Yeah, some of the the prospect the excuse me, the priorities will remain the same. You don't want to block your potential prospects coming up. The Orioles are not going to sign a great catcher to a four-year deal when Adley Rutschman is going to come up halfway through the season and be your starting catcher of the future. So there is one priority. The second one don't cause unnecessary log jams. Like, you don't need to sign an outfielder right now, more than likely, unless they move on from Anthony Santander or some other scenario. You don't really need to sign another outfielder because you have Cedric Mullins, Austin Hayes, Anthony Santander, and Ryan McKenna solidly as your fourth outfielder, and then Kyle Sowers and Robert Newstrom, who both might come up this year. So you just don't need to make unnecessary deals there. And then, of course, Michael Elias, being Michael Elias, is going to want to sign guys that he could potentially flip at the trade deadline. It's been the free agency approach for the last few years. I'm not expecting that to change this year if he wants to sign a veteran at an important position to a one-year deal, just like he did with Jose Iglesias and Freddie Galvis, two guys that he could just sign again. That priority is going to remain the same. The only one that has a chance of changing, like you mentioned, is whether the Orioles are going to start making deals with the future in mind. The future in mind for the past few years that they have been thinking about when signing free agents is, okay, what prospects can we get for the veteran guys that we are signing? Like if a veteran has a good year and we trade them at the deadline, That's the future we're concerned with. What prospects can we get back in that deal? I think the question of this free agency is whether that vision towards the future turns from what prospects can we get in return to who can we sign that is actually going to make a difference on this team in two or three years. And they kind of go hand in hand. So I think the idea that they could get good prospects back for a good player and that that player, if they don't trade them, could be helpful on a winning club in the next couple of years. I think that those can go together because you look at what the Orioles did last offseason, and when you sign 
veterans to minor league deals and you go with these inexpensive contracts and you get guys who are kind of left on the scrap heap, oftentimes you get what you pay for. We saw that with Michael Franco. They signed him late in spring training because he was sitting out there. He was available. They signed him to an $800,000 deal, I believe. He wasn't able to contribute to the team, and he wasn't able to be traded. So them signing Freddie Galvis to a major league deal, while cheap, it was $1.5 million, they were able to flip him. It wasn't a great prospect that they got back, Tyler Birch. He wasn't in the Phillies' top 30 prospects but they were able to get something. So it doesn't always correlate that way, but typically if you're spending more, you're going to get, it's obvious, a better player and you have a higher chance of getting something significant back because those kind of deals will help bolstering your system, getting depth guys like a Tyler Birch. But if you could make a case that if the Orioles invest three, $5 million on a free agent for a one or two year deal this off season, that not only helps your major league roster and helps out Brandon Hyde every day, but it can also increase the probability that you get a quality prospect in return. Right. You can achieve both of those goals simultaneously, but I think there's a difference between signing somebody with the idea that they are going to get traded at the deadline. Like there's what you were describing is kind of the mentality of, okay, we'll sign somebody to a little bit more money and hopefully we can trade them at the deadline, but if not, we're okay with holding on to them. I think there's a little bit of a difference between that mentality and the mentality of let's sign somebody to a two or three year deal, and if it's not working out the way that we had hoped that it would, or if there's some other situation with the prospects coming up and he's blocking space, whatever it may be, then in that case, we will trade him. But the intention is to keep him on the team right. for two or three years. Right. The intention is not to deal him at the deadline. So it, it's kind of a, a small difference there, but I think it is a difference. Yeah, I would agree. And and if you sign a guy for more than one year, of course, you could hold on to him for this year, see what you have in him this year, and then deal him next deadline or right. deal him in the offseason. So, uh, you know, it, as things change and as we get a better idea of not just who you know, who's going to come up and how good these prospects are, how much you can rely on them. You know, prospects might come out of nowhere and earn a a roster spot and lock down a roster spot. Like a year ago, you could make the case that the Orioles needed to find a a legitimate center fielder going forward. And then Cedric Mullins came out and and locked up that spot. And you can say that's not going to be a need for several years. So, you know, maybe they go out and they they can sign somebody, a shortstop to a a two-year deal, but then maybe Jordan Westbrook comes up and he looks like the shortstop of the future. So you don't want to lock yourself into a long-term deal in that respect and, and block potential top prospects. But also, it doesn't kill you. Because if you make the right decision, if you sign somebody who is productive and you end up getting a good deal for a guy, for a veteran, then you can flip him as an option or you can just keep him around. If, if nobody materializes in your system and, and locks down a shortstop spot going forward, it's not the worst thing in the world to have a contributing veteran on a fairly cheap deal. Right, and that's the important thing to keep in mind when we're talking about the fact that you don't want to block prospects and you don't want to cause log jams. There is a big difference between the issue of not having startable players at a yeah. position and having too many startable players at a position. Like, 
if the Orioles sign a shortstop to a two or three year deal and give him a decent amount of money, and then Jordan Westberg comes up and lights the world on fire and plays fantastic shortstop, your worst case scenario there is that you have Jordan Westberg, who is a good young shortstop, and a veteran shortstop who has hopefully played well for you over the two or three years that you have been giving him a decently sized contract. Yeah. That is a much better problem than the problem that the Orioles have had over the past few years, which is you're trying to kind of fit pieces somewhere to just have startable guys at positions. So while you don't want to cause log jams, you don't want to block prospects from coming up, you would much rather have too many good players yes. than not enough. And, and I think competitive teams and really contending teams, I think that that's a strategy of not blocking guys by signing guys in free agency that I would advise for the Orioles and teams that are rebuilding. I would say, you know, for the Orioles, err on the side of not blocking guys if you can. If you're a contending team, you can't count on those prospects to come up and be contributors from day one because they are prospects. But the Orioles, because they're in a rebuilding situation, I think that this is an area where you can sign guys, or if you don't, it's it's not the end of the world because you have so many good prospects that you think can fill in. Right, like the Yankees are a good example there when looking at their starting pitching. They right. go out and they get Jamison Tyone, they get Corey Kluber, they get a bunch of veteran starting pitchers because they weren't going to rely on Davey Garcia and Clark Schmidt to be they're you know, number three or number four this year, even though they're the top prospects in their right. system. They knew where they, they were competing and they wanted to make sure they had the guys yes. and they didn't want to rely on the prospects. So, so in a couple of years, I won't be saying that about the Orioles. I won't be saying, oh, worry, you know. Right. Whoever the Orioles take in the 2022 draft, number one overall, unless he's like a stud, uh, you know, which he probably will be if he's number one overall. Yeah, I, I would, would say, so. you know, then don't worry about blocking him. If, if he comes up and he's ready, he will take that spot. Don't worry about it. And injuries always happen, so always good to have depth. But the Orioles being in this situation, I think it's it's okay to err on the side of not blocking guys. All right, shall we talk about positions? Yeah, let's do it. All right, let's get start with the middle infield because the Orioles' middle infield, especially after the trade deadline when they sent Freddie Galvis to the Phillies, was young, inexperienced, and light-hitting, I think you could say. They By the end of the season, they were relying on Jorge Mateo at shortstop, who was an exciting, intriguing waiver claim, but a waiver claim nonetheless. Uh, and Jemai Jones, who was came back in the Alex Cobb deal from the Angels, intriguing player, but still 24 years old and did not contribute uh, enough to lock down the second base spot going forward. So at the very least, I think you need depth for the middle infield. Yeah, this is a little bit of a tricky situation because I think ideally you would say, let's start Jorge Mateo at shortstop, let's start Jemai Jones at second, and then Ramon Arias can play either of those positions and be pretty good. And ideally you'd like to say, I don't think the Orioles need to address middle infield all that much. However, I don't know if the Orioles are able to rely on the combination of Mateo and Jemai Jones starting for you for an entire year. Right. So I think at the very least, you need to add a fourth guy to that conversation, even if it's just for depth. Right. Maybe Jorge Mateo and Jemai Jones both show their potential in 2022, and they lock down shortstop and lock down second base. That just means you signed a 
fourth middle infielder to be another utility guy along with Ramona Rios, and he doesn't need to be an everyday starter. Right. But how likely is that scenario where both of them lock down the middle infield? Probably not all that likely. As as much as I like and am intrigued by both Jemai Jones and Jorge Mateo, history tells us odds are one of them, if any of them, will pan out. Right. Odds are neither of them is going to pan out. Um, just because they, you're able to claim Jorge Mateo off waivers for a reason, and you're able to get Jemai Jones in a deal for Alex Cobb for a reason, and neither of these guys were top top end prospects in the past couple of years. Jorge Mateo was a top 100 prospect several years ago, but now he's 26 and uh, he's a little bit further from that, having that high ceiling. Yeah, he was one of the top prospects in the Yankees system, but that was like five years ago at right. this point. So it, it's not, you know, you, you want to be able to, as much as you want to see from these guys, it's not imperative that these guys get everyday starts in the infield to start the season. You know, it, when Adley comes up, you don't want to have a veteran blocking his way. For these guys, it, it's not the worst thing in the world. And that's why we saw Pat Vileka come up in, near the end of the year just to provide some kind of depth. Pat Vileka, I don't think, will be back after he was outrighted. So they just need guys there. And maybe you sign a good defensive second baseman or shortstop for Jemai Jones or Jorge Mateo to learn from and get some days off from and just bolster your major league club. That's that's what you need to do ultimately. I see this being a, if they're going to hand out a contract here, a major league deal to the middle infield, it's going to be a similar deal to a Jose Iglesias or a Freddie Galvis, a defensive first guy that you're signing to one or max two years because Jordan Westberg finished the season at double-A. He looked really good. Gunnar Henderson finished the season at double-A. He can play shortstop. So I don't see them going any longer than two years, and honestly, I'd be surprised if they hand out anything longer than one year for a middle infielder. Yeah, I agree. I, I think as much as our comment section would like the Orioles to sign Carlos Correa, <laughs> that is not going to happen. So I think we're looking at kind of the category of players of a Jonathan VR, maybe Chris Owings or Cesar Hernandez are probably the yeah. top three names that I had in mind for the middle infield. I don't think with any of those three guys, it is imperative that they get everyday starts, just like it's not imperative that you give Jorge Mateo and Jemai Jones everyday starts. But I think if you kind of have a running rotation of four middle infielders, that'll give you enough of a chance to see what you have in Mateo, Jones, and Arias, and at least have a veteran presence there. Because again, injuries happen as well, and you don't want to be stuck in a situation where Arias and, you know, Arias and Jemai Jones are starting every day because Jorge Mateo goes down again. Right, and if you're watching our show live on Facebook uh, or YouTube, of course, you can see a list of some of the top shortstops and second basemen available via free agency. If you're not watching, you should be watching on Facebook and YouTube every week live or after the fact. But yeah, I mean, if, if one of those guys goes down, Brendan, if, if you don't bolster that infield group, you don't bring back Pat Vileka and you just go into next year with what you have and like Jorge Mateo, his back flares up again like it did at the end of last season. What are you going to do? And what is your bench going to consist of? So you just have to have some kind of depth there. Yeah. Uh, E-Baseball on YouTube says sign Trout. It's a good idea. I don't think he's a free agent. Well, yeah, it was a good idea. I'd rather have Mullins. Uh, <laughs> kidding. Uh, all right. Catcher. Next big position here. 
Adley Rutschman is the elephant in the room. And that is going to be your biggest impediment to signing a top-end catcher if you choose to. Well, impediment. Impediment. Like, a it's good not impediment. a problem. It's yeah, not a problem. It's not a problem. But anybody who signs with the Orioles, if you are a catcher, you know that your job is going to be snatched away from you by midseason, maybe by the end of May. Because yes. the number one prospect in all of baseball is coming up through the system. However, I do think that the Orioles do need to address catcher, and especially after they outrighted Austin wins, because Pedro Severino, non-tender candidate, expected to get, according to MLB trade rumors, about $3.5, $3.7 million. That's pretty pricey for a backup catcher. This still remains an area of need, similar to middle infield, at the very least, you need depth. You essentially need a backup catcher yeah. at this point, because the only role that you are filling is Again, we are assuming that all goes well with Adley Rutschman at AAA. There aren't any injuries or setbacks, and he should be up at some point in the middle of the year if everything goes to plan. So essentially, you just need a catcher to get you through the first half of the season and then be a solid backup for Adley Rutschman because probably Brandon Hyde is going to want to keep Adley Rutschman in the lineup as much as possible. So we might also see Adley Rutschman get some time at first base. We might see him get some time at DH. So you just need a catcher to fill in for Adley's off days or the days when Adley is playing a different position and still has to be in the lineup. So I think at this point, you pretty much just need a veteran backstop that is like pretty okay and can get you through the first half of the season. You don't need anything spectacular. It's not like there's any spectacular catchers on the market anyway. Yeah. There are not a lot of spectacular catchers in baseball period. So I think the Orioles are probably just looking at a veteran catcher that can get them through the first half of the season. And then is a solid backup for Adley Rutschman, like maybe an Austin Romine, a Kurt Suzuki, yeah. Somebody like that. A veteran who knows, comes in knowing that it's going to be likely a job that he is not going to keep the, for the majority of the season. Right. But I think that you could make, if you're sitting down with a free agent, you're on the phone with the free agent, Michael Elias could make a similar pitch to one of these catchers as he did to Freddie Galvis last year, which is you sign a one-year deal with us, and if you play well enough, if you stay healthy, you're going to find yourself in a playoff push by August. And maybe you add something to his contract like you did with uh, Freddie Galvis and you add a $250,000 trade kicker. So, you know, if maybe that's the pitch that you're able to make to Sandy Leone or Kurt Suzuki or Robinson Chirino, so just saying, look, this is your job until Adley comes up. And if you start off the season, if you have a good first few months, you know, we'll transition you nicely into a backup role. We'll keep you healthy. And then come July 31st, catchers always go down around baseball. Maybe you get traded to the Yankees. Maybe you get traded to the Red Sox. Somewhere where you will be in the middle of an October playoff push. But would you even want to trade a catcher that you get at this point? Because the second half of the season, you need a backup for True. Adley Rutschman, and you don't really have any depth at this point. Yeah, I mean, you you could, you know, if you maybe re-sign Austin Wins to a minor league deal and bring him back and he makes the club, you could bring him up. Um, you know, you have some potential internal options, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's a good point. You, you don't really have much beyond that. Uh, you know, the, the best catching prospect was taken in the last, the most recent draft. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, they could use that kind of depth, but never, never rule out uh, a trade piece as well. You know, Michael Elias has been willing to, 
take from Brandon Hyde's major league roster in order to uh, get something back in a trade. If he sees that there's a trade available and somebody plays beyond their expectations, I think he'll make that trade. Yeah, and uh, Robert on YouTube, thanks for following along, makes a good point as well. If there's a new CBA with different rules for service time, we could see Adley Rutschman even earlier on in the year, which still diminishes the need for a catcher. I don't think he's going to crack the opening day roster, but he probably doesn't need that much more time in AAA. Now, granted, that is a huge if, if the service time rules get changed, but it's at least something to point out. Yeah, I don't know. Obviously, this is it's all speculative. I don't know if they do make changes, and I, I saw that there was a report that they might make changes to service time based on age. That twenty and once a player reaches twenty nine and a half, they would hit free agency. So that would be interesting to see. I don't know if that's uh, think about something like Juan Soto. I mean, he would be locked up till he's twenty nine and a half. Yeah, that would be. But it would incentivize teams to bring guys up younger. Right. But I think if they do make changes, major changes to service time requirements, I think that they'll probably instill it for the next generation. I think probably. Like they'll probably wait a couple of years because teams, you know, they've been planning this for Adley for so long. They've been planning how and when they're bringing guys up for so long that it would kind of pull the rug out from under every team around baseball, not just the Orioles, if they implemented it with somebody that they already had a five, 10 year plan in place for Adley Rutschman. Yeah, I'm sure that's probably the case, but still important to keep in mind yeah. that the CBA could change and we could see some changes from the Orioles side as a result. Exactly. Uh, also catching depth, really the only guy, Brett Cumberland that you can think of in the system that is even close enough yeah. to making the major league roster. And he really had a bad second half of the season for AAA Norfolk. So maybe if he starts out the season well enough and the free agent that you sign as a catcher is able to be traded, you deal him and you see what you have in Brett Cumberland. But yeah, all ifs. That being said, regardless, they do need to make some kind of addition at catcher. There needs to be a catcher signed in free agency. Yeah. All right. So those are middle infield catcher. Third base, I think, is another big position here, Brendan. And Ramon Urias can play third. He's really more of a middle infielder. I like, I'm intrigued by the idea of Ramon Urias playing third. You have Ryland Bannon in the system who still hit under the Mendoza line, but the power flashed in the second half of the season. I don't think you can rely on the combination that you have currently between Ramon Arias, Jorge Mateos really never played third, and Jemai Jones, they're not going to move him off second base unless they move him to the outfield. I don't think that that combination is going to get you enough. And it's a similar conversation. Depth. Depth is huge here. And I think you can sign a starter for third base. Yeah, I wouldn't even say depth. I think you need a starting third baseman. I like Ramon Arias, and maybe the Orioles' plan is to work him at third base in the offseason and say, hey, this is your new position. And again, that opens up another need for the Orioles in terms of depth in the middle infield if Ramon Arias is then out of that conversation. Maybe the Orioles saw enough from Ramon Arias last year to say you can be our everyday third baseman. I would be surprised if that's the case because I think going forward, like you said, he profiles best as a utility middle infielder. I don't think he's an everyday starter anywhere. Yeah, And we mentioned not wanting to block prospects earlier. Ryland Bannon doesn't really fall under no. that category for me anymore. He did last year. Yeah. Ryland Bannon, we both thought was going to come up and maybe not be an everyday starter, but at least be in the conversation Contribute. for that third base, second base kind of hybrid role there. Ryland Bannon is not really 
on my mind when I think about third baseman for the Orioles in 2022. He just did not show enough in the minors this year to warrant saying, hey, you don't want to block Ryland Bannon. You're just hoping that you get something from Ryland Bannon this year. Yeah. So I think realistically, the Orioles probably need a starting third baseman because Ramon Rios will probably continue in that utility role. Maybe he can play third base sometimes, but the Orioles need somebody at the hot corner. They do not have a starter right now. They don't have a pure third baseman on the roster right now, other than Kelvin Gutierrez, who filled in nicely at the end of the year. But Defensively, he was great, but I, you can't, to me, go into next season with the same infield group that you saw at the end of the year. No. You can't do that with Ramon Urias, Jemai Jones, Jorge Mateo, and Kelvin Gutierrez. You need to make some kind of upgrade in the infield. And again, it doesn't have to be massive. doesn't have to be a, a, a Carlos Correa, a Kyle Seeger type, but some kind of depth you need there because uh, Jordan Westberg and Gunnar Henderson, as excited and bullish as we are on those two guys, they're not ready to start the season. So you needed an opening day third baseman. And to me, I, I think you have to invest a little bit more in that position than you did last year going with Michael Franco. Yeah, I think realistically, again, you're probably looking at somebody like Jonathan VR to be a third baseman. I think he would be a suitable starter. But I think you can also make a legitimate case for somebody like Kyle Seeger. I know he's going to he's going to be a little out of their price range. I think he is a little bit as well, but Gunnar Henderson is probably still 2 years away from making his major league debut, I would May- say. Yeah, uh, probably. I think, he's a little, I think he's a little ahead of schedule right now, but I don't think you'd be comfortable calling up Gunnar Henderson next year, and I don't think you'd be... Unless he lights the world on fire. Yes. I mean, he could he could theoretically start the 2022 season at AAA Norfolk. He I could. I would expect maybe not starting the season. I, I think Jordan Westbrook could start 2023 at Norfolk, and I think Gunnar Henderson could start at Norfolk in theory, but is more likely to start at double-A buoy. Maybe, but again, those are pretty big ifs. Yeah. And look, the Orioles are at the point where you're still not competing, but you can't lose 100 games again. So I think Kyle Seeger fits a pretty good role of he can be in the middle of your lineup every day. He is older on the veteran side. He's, well, he's much older, but like he is still a good veteran presence in that locker room. But he's still a good enough player where you can sign him to a two or three year deal, give him thirty million, and he is going to be a pretty solid third baseman for you for two or three years. I don't think the Orioles are going to do it. I think he's a little bit out of the price range, but I think there is a legitimate case to be made there. And then if Gunnar Henderson or Jordan Westberg comes up and is your everyday third baseman in two years, maybe you still have a year left of Kyle Seeger where he's your DH or first baseman, or he is just kind of bouncing around where you need him. I We've talked about DH being a spot, though, that the Orioles are going to need right. as they get more prospects up. I don't know if you're going to want a veteran who's well into his 30s taking up the DH spot in 2023. But again, I think this kind of falls under the category, like I was saying before, of you would like to have the problem of, okay, we signed Kyle Seeger to a two- or three-year deal, and now we've got Jordan Westberg and Gunnar Henderson coming up. How are we fitting everybody right. there? It's still a good problem to have. If if Seeger performs, if he had he hit 35 homers last year, which was a career high for him, but his batting average was still low, he's still 33, 34, going to be 34 next year, that's still an older third baseman. 
if he doesn't perform, if he starts to show serious signs of age and he's not tradable because of the price tag that you sign him for and the years that you have him locked up for, that could venture into the issue of that's a bad problem to have because then you have a guy who's on your roster who's just eating up a roster spot and you don't know what to do with it could but i i still think there is a case to be made for a it gives you a starting caliber third baseman a a good starting caliber third baseman for two or three years hopefully and at very worst it gives you one of like the best people in baseball a great veteran presence who can do a lot for your locker room and have a similar influence to a guy like Trey Mancini, I think you can can make a legitimate case that having a guy like that on your roster would be really important for a team that is filled with a lot of young prospects. I agree. I think if you believe that he can contribute still on the field for the next two or three years, do it. I think, you know, if you've done, if you... The people in the Orioles front office and the analytics side and Sigma Dell believe that this is his production is sustainable. Do it. I don't think you sign a guy for two or three years just to be a veteran presence. No, but I think that if you if Michael Elias believes that, hey, this guy's going to be contributing for us in 2022 and 2023. And at the very, you know, worst case scenario, we're able to trade him because we have a prospect that we want to come up, then go for it. But I just think that would count to me is a somewhat bigger splash. And are you ready to make that kind of big splash move? And you can make the case, if you're going to make a splashy move, wouldn't you rather want to use that on starting pitching where there is clearly a bigger need uh, in the in the next two years than maybe third base? I agree. I just, I don't know if there are, there's not the same prospects at third base that are banging down the door to be starters at the major league level at this point. Gunnar Henderson is still probably two years away from being a starter somewhere. Maybe. Like you've got, maybe though. You've, at starting pitcher, I know the, you know, it, there's not, like there, there's Grayson Rodriguez. There's Kyle Bradish. There are guys that are going to come up to this rotation in the next year or so. But there's nobody at AAA at third base right now. I, I feel there's Ryland Bannon. He, he hasn't played well. I feel better about, though, the long-term prospects of... You need five starting pitching pitchers. You know, Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall and Kyle Bradish and Kevin Smith, those, those guys all have the potential to be starters, but you're going to need so many starters. To me, that it would warrant going out and making a splashier move on starting pitching. Don't need to, to go out and sign Max Scherzer, but... I, if I'm making a splash type move, and you know I use that term, I'm not, I'm going, not Carlos Correa, not three hundred million dollar contract splash, but a moderate splash, I would personally rather do that on starting pitching because it's easier to manipulate a rotation and it's easier for me to see spots in the rotation because we're going to talk about going forward. Let's transition this into starting pitching because you're looking at next year on opening day, unless you start somebody. You know, unless you bring somebody up from AAA Norfolk immediately, you're looking at a starting rotation of John Means, Bruce Zimmerman, Matt Harvey's out the door, so Zach Lowther, Alexander Wells, Mike Bauman. Am I for Chris Ellis? Am I forgetting anybody? Probably not. Uh, Unless they bring somebody up from AAA to start next year on the the opening day roster. Like Bradish or Smith. Yeah, which is possible. And Alexander Wells, Zach Lowther, and Mike Bauman are three guys that I still think you would like to see get starts. You would. But in that scenario, 
Mike Bauman is your number three. Right. So to me, that's where I could see them signing somebody. I I would prefer, if I were Mike Elias, to sign a splashier starting pitcher than a third baseman, per se. Because I, I just have... Maybe I'm too bullish on on Henderson and Westberg, but I think between those two guys, I think you're going to get a very good left side of the infield player, borderline maybe all-star for the next several years. Maybe they don't both pan out, but I think between Westberg and Henderson, I think you're going to have somebody there for the next five years. And I, think I really you, do. I think you will as well, but I still don't think that happens for two years or two or three, maybe, maybe Jordan Westberg comes up. But again, there's that hole at shortstop as well. True. And this is assuming that Gunnar Henderson and Jordan Westberg are going to come up and play third base. I think ideally you'd probably like to have both of those guys at shortstop. Yeah. And then whichever one shows more defensive promise, you keep, keep it shortstop. Yeah. And then the other one you move to third base if they both pan out. But again, with starting pitching, you're right. I think there is a big need for a number two, two or three pitcher. I don't think you need to sign again. You don't not going to give anybody $300 million, but there are a few guys in free agency that I don't think the Orioles will sign, but you can make a legitimate case for doing so. Yeah. Like an Anthony DeSclafani would be a really good deal as a number two starter. He's probably going to get priced out of the Orioles range at this point. I think he probably gets like three years, 40 million ish. Um, Alex Wood would be a good number two starter. Steven Matz yeah. would be a at least a solid number two starter. I think that's the category of guys that I hope the Orioles go into. And I I suppose if you wanted to say, would you rather have Kyle Seeger or Anthony DiSclefani? I'd probably tell you DiSclefani, but I think Seeger is just a little bit more likely. But that kind of mid-tier of starting pitcher free agents is somewhere that I hope the Orioles go to, but I probably don't think they will. I saw a comment on Facebook as well about free agent third baseman other than Kyle Seager and some of the names that are out there. Chris Bryant is out there. Again, that's probably going to be, he's going to cost more than Kyle Seager because he is younger than Kyle Seager and better better than Kyle Seager, has had higher highs throughout his career. Um, you know, you have other veterans like a Josh Harrison, Wilmore Flores, you could stick at third. Eduardo Escobar, you can really use anywhere. Yeah, I'd diamond. make a similar case for Eduardo Escobar that I just made for Kyle Seeger. Right. Uh, other than that, Jake Lamb is kind of on the lower end. He might have to sign a minor league deal with an invite to spring training. Maybe a, a cheap major league deal. That's an option I think the Orioles could go. Uh, 31-year-old Jake Lamb. And then other than that, you know, you have some some veterans, like is Drew Cabrera, who's 36, Brock Holt, who's 34, guys who are past their prime. Um, and, of course, Jonathan Villar is getting up there at 31 at this point. So there, you could, and I, I definitely see your case, Brendan, to to go out and sign um, somebody of that ilk, of, of a Kyle Seeger. And I think that he would be a great locker room presence. I think that he would be embraced by the Orioles fan base, assuming that he does perform. And I think that if, if they believe that he can be productive over the next few years, I have nothing against them signing him. So it, it, it'll be, it would be the splashiest free agent move that we would see Michael Elias have made yeah. in his first three years. Yeah. The difference there is just kind of you know, my opinion in terms of what I think would be the best move for the Orioles and what I think would be the most likely move for the Orioles. Kyle Seeger does not really fall under that most likely well, move for the Orioles. Shout out to Brett Hollander, by the way. 
Orioles broadcaster who first brought this attention to us near the end of the year. And we were talking about potential free agents to sign. And he said, I'm keeping my eye on Kyle Seager. And I said, hadn't thought of that before, but interesting. Yeah. If you can get him for a two-year deal, doesn't seem like he's going back to Seattle also. So he might be available. Yeah. And other guys that kind of fall under that two-year deal are some of the starting pitchers that you would have to give some more money to, like Anthony DiScofani, Alex Woods, Steven Matz. I think all of those, Eduardo Rodriguez is another one, bringing him back to Baltimore. I think all of those guys you probably need to sign to a two- or three-year deal and give them some more money. And it's a similar argument to Kyle Seager, where, yes, it might not be the Michael Elias move that we are accustomed to over the last few free agencies, but you should start looking to two or three years from now when you might be a competitive team and who's going to be able to stick around in that starting rotation. I think all of these guys would fall into that category. There are so many starting pitchers every year. There are so many pitchers available in free agency. It's going to be difficult for us next week in our free agent bracket to narrow it down to possible guys that the Orioles could sign because they could go any number of ways here. And there are so many available names out there. Also, somebody brought up on, on one of our YouTube comments as they're commenting along, Taryn Vavra for third base. I think they're at the time being, they're going to keep Vavra more in the middle infield as he's more experienced as a second baseman shortstop type prospect. He missed a lot of time last year with injury, uh, stuck at double A last year. I think they like him. I don't think that they're writing their plans around him. No, again, I think that probably falls under the category of if you need him to play third base, maybe, but you would rather keep him at shortstop, which is a more valuable position to have. And and he's not a good enough, highly rated enough prospect to the point where you're clearing guys out or you're not signing guys because you need to see what you have. In right, him, and Vavra you know? doesn't really profile at third base usually when you think of a third baseman you think of somebody who's a bigger power hitter who can play acceptable defense right where maybe that's a Kobe Mayo or a Gunnar Henderson Taron Vavra is kind of the quicker gonna steal some bases batting average type that you would normally find in a shortstop or middle infield in general or even like a center fielder he's played there a little bit so similar to Ramon Arias in that kind of way where you know Arias has some power but you know he's gonna hit for average and he's going to play quality defense, which is why you'd rather have him in the middle infield right. or as a utility guy. Um, yeah, it'll get, it's going to be interesting to see where they go. Uh, next week on our free agency bracket, I'll kind of explain briefly how this is going to go down. We're going to have, we're going to bring back the draft whiteboard, Brendan, that yes. everybody loves so much. The high-quality whiteboard that we, everybody we got, praised. We got so much hate because it looked <laughs> cheap, but you know what? I spent time it got on the, that, guys. You did. It's, it, you got, it got the job done. Yeah. It, it really did. But so it we're, created we're, a nice visual, and yet we're, we were bullied. We're going to test your hand writing again and see if we can fit a good-looking bracket in here filled with four divisions eight players in each division and the divisions are going to be broken down by position. So we're going those four positions that we just laid out. We're talking middle infield, third base, catcher, and starting pitcher. Eight players in each side. And then we're going to narrow it down and try to get to the player that we think, not the best free agent out there, but the player we think is most likely to be signed by the Orioles. And we're going to have Tim Leonard, who is a producer, part-time producer for Mass and All Access who's going to be our deciding vote because we have two people here. And if we disagree, you know, 
We need a tiebreaker. We need a tiebreaker. So we'll try to pick the Masson All Access Podcast official free agent that we think the Orioles will sign. Yeah. And maybe we'll narrow it down to like a final... Well, we will narrow it down, not maybe... We'll have a final four as well, which will give us the player that we think is most likely to be signed at each of the positions that yes. we've talked about too. So I think like the final four will be their own separate, like, hey, here's the most likely at each position, and then we'll narrow it down to the one. Saying comments as well. Somebody said, sign Corey and Kyle Seeger. Yeah. <laughs> Shortstop, third sure. base. Be loaded for the next... Uh, Sweet. At least with Corey Seeger, you'll be loaded for 10 years. He's probably yeah. going to sign a long-term deal. Don't think that's going to happen, but Ooh. the amount of quality shortstops, don't want to get in a tangent here like 50 minutes in, but the amount of quality shortstops on the market right now is ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, you have like Javier Baez is like the eighth best shortstop on the entire market. Trevor Story is third. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're, you're talking Baez. If you're watching, by the way, on YouTube and Facebook, our producer Bobby Blanco throwing up the list there. Carlos Correa, Corey Seager, Trevor Story, Chris Taylor, who's a super, super utility player. Yeah. I don't know what team is going to sign him, but whoever does is going to get a very good player. Uh, Marcus Simeon, who bet on himself with that one-year deal. Yeah, he might be third in AL MVP this year. Yeah, and then uh, another name I think we're going to throw into the bracket, Andrelton Simmons. Ooh, my king. Your, your favorite uh, yeah. free agent every year. God, he was really bad this year. Coming though. off a very, very down year. So, But makes it more likely that the Orioles will sign him. Yeah. I think, I think he's a... Very strong candidate to get signed by the Orioles. I think he is as well. I think he's going to go right through the bracket. All right. That just about does it for our podcast this week. Stay tuned next week for the free agency bracket. And in the meantime, if there are any names that we are missing that you think we should include as guys that the Orioles should target, uh, definitely let us know in the comments or tweet at us at Paul Mancano, at Brendan Morty. Always open to suggestions. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks to Bobby Blanco, who is producing this podcast. As always, you can catch the podcast Live, watch it on YouTube and Facebook or listen to it after the fact on any one of your favorite podcast platforms. Thank you so much for tuning in. We will be back in a week. We'll see you then.